We're in a series called The Five Gifts of Jesus. The Five Gifts of Jesus. And, uh, you know, we've already gone over the five gifts. And I'm going to tell you why I'm continuing the series in a second. It comes from Ephesians 4, 8 through 13. It says, when Jesus went to heaven, when he ascended on high, uh, he had a plan. He didn't just leave us without a plan. His plan was the local church. That's his plan. To get the word out, to get people saved, to grow them in Christ, to get more, to grow them in Christ, to get more, and we all get to go to heaven. That's his plan. And his plan worked by giving certain people certain gifts. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip all of the saints for the work of the ministry. Everybody say ministry. So we're going to talk today about what your ministry is in life. That's what we're really going to focus on. It says we're all supposed to be built up with the body of Christ and we all become a mature believer. And a mature believer is someone who learns how to walk in the word and walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And of course, we all battle the flesh, but our goal is to habitually walk in the spirit. So um, we've already talked about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, right? We've already done all five weeks. I want to go back and I want to do the first three apostle, evangelist, and prophet over again by teaching you more applicable ways to apply those, five, those three gifts to your life. So for your notes on your handout today, we're going to talk about my apostolic calling. My apostolic calling, and I know my meaning your, your. Everybody say my. So I'm talking about you, our apostolic calling. Uh, I know the word apostolic or apostle is a Bible word we don't use much. It basically means somebody who's sent out that Jesus calls them and then sends them out. Calls them and sends them out. So here's what we're gonna talk about today. What are you on earth for? What is your purpose? What is your calling? Why are you here? Are you supposed to just take up oxygen, get a job, eat, use the bathroom, sleep, and then do it all over again the next day, and then die one day? Is that why you're here? If there's something specific God wants you to do, and I'm going to give you three points today, and I promise you, if you apply these three points to your life, you will discover a detailed purpose that God has for you, a good plan that he has for your life, if you apply these three points. I promise you, it'll change your life forever. Ephesians 5.16 says that we are to live purposefully. We have to have a purpose. We have to figure out what it is, live accurately as wise people, make the most of the time and every opportunity. Don't live vague and thoughtless. How many people, you, you actually you could go on Facebook and see who's living vague and thoughtless lives, right? Don't live vague and thoughtless. Find out what the Lord wants you to do. So that's what we're going to discover today. And some of it's going to sound a little cliche. I promise you, if you apply it, God will speak to you and tell you exactly what he wants you to do with the life that he's given you, okay? So three points. They're all very, very cohesive. They start with the letter C. And point number one is this, my Christian calling. So obviously, the first thing is you need to give your life to Christ. That's obvious. So we're going to start there, right? As a Christian, what is my Christian calling? Now, here's the cliche part. Love God, love people. Everybody say, love God, love people. Love God. I, I, I know it's a little cliche, but you're going to just hear me out. So Mark 3.14 and Luke uh, 9.1 says this. Jesus called 12 disciples so that they would be with him. Just so you know, the first thing he will ever call you to do is just be with him. Just if you have not learned how to just be with Jesus, you cannot fulfill your God-given destiny. More important than what you do is learning how to just be. And a lot of people with my personality like to do, 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 but we don't understand the power of simply sitting and being with Jesus. So he first called them to just be with him. No matter what age you are, how long or how short you've been saved, you have to figure out what your time with Jesus looks like every single day. 
I don't understand how some of you can live in Myrtle Beach and continue in life without spending every single day with Jesus. Even if it's just for a few minutes each day, you got to learn how to be with him. After they bead with him, and I know that's not proper English, but after they bead with him, then he decided to send them out. And there's three things he sent them out to do, and he sends us to do the same things. Preach the kingdom of God, have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. Okay, let's start with this. He called them to be before he called them to do. The power to do comes from the time of being. The power to do what he's called you to do, it starts with the time of being. So you'll never be empowered to do until you first take time to just be. You'll never hear what he wants you to do unless you stop and be silent for him to tell you while you're sitting there being with Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying so far? You have to learn to be. So your time with Jesus doesn't need to look like my time. It doesn't need to look like your spouse's time or your mom and daddy's time. It needs to look like your time with Jesus. Whatever that is, you need to figure it out. Some people love to journal. Some people love um, uh, devotions. Some people love to walk on the beach. Some people love to get up and watch the sunrise. You're weird, but that's okay. God has never called me to do that, and he never will call me, and I'm very thankful. I like to sleep in to at least eight or nine. Okay, some people like to go fishing and spend time with Jesus. I'm not saying nothing. Some people like to play golf, and they do a lot of praying out there by the way they play. <laughs> but that's their time with Jesus. It's okay. It doesn't even look like your spouse. Your spouse may want to walk around the block and they say, oh, I just meditate on a scripture and they sound so spiritual. You might like to hang out in your garage and just pray, just let God speak, whatever it is. My time, I love to have like 10 translations of the Bible sitting out and I study and pray and talk and study and pray and listen and study. And that's my time. Whatever it is, you got to spend that time with Jesus. You'll never get the power to do until you've spent time being with him. Now, here's what's so cool about the scripture. Take a good look at it. You and I are a three-part being. We are a spirit. That's what gets to heaven is our spirit. When we invite God in our life, the Holy Spirit connects with our spirit. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So we are a spirit. We have a soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. I think, I want, I feel. That's how we're going to recognize people in heaven because our bodies will die on earth. We get a new body in heaven. So when you get to heaven, you're not going to recognize people by the way they look. You'll recognize them by their personality, their mind, their will, and their emotions, their soul. The spirit takes the soul to heaven. We get a new body. But we're a three-part being. Here's what he said. If you'll spend time with me, I'll give you first the power to preach the gospel. That is getting people saved. That's the spirit part. I'll give you power to heal sicknesses. There's the physical body. And I'll give you power to cast out demons. Demons torment our soul, our mind, our thinking, our desire, I mean our, our, our emotions, our, our thought, I mean our emotions and our feelings, and our, our will. Demons hold our will captive so we don't do what God wants to do, but we do what we want to do. So he gives you power to cast out demons. Here's what he said this. If you'll spend time with me, I will give you power, watch, to help people. To love God and love people. You spend time loving me, I'll give you the power you need. Now, is there anyone in your life that you know that is sick in their physical body and needs healing? Is there anyone you know that's being tormented by demons? There's a horrible addiction, something. Is there anyone you know that's unsaved? Okay, here's how you can help them. Be with Jesus and he'll give you power to go help that person. If you'll be with Jesus, he will give you what you need to pray healing over the sick body, to win people to the Lord so you have the right words at the right time because you spent time with Jesus and he empowered you to say just the right thing at just the right time to be just the right person to win them to Jesus. He'll give you the power to cast out demons and pray healing. All of this if you'll just be with him. 
Say, we want so bad to go do, 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 do. He said, no, no, no. Start by just being with me. And when you're with me, the result of spending time with Jesus is I'll give you power to help people that come in your life. That's what our ministry is. That is your calling. That is your purpose. That's why you're on earth, to love God and love people. Now, here's the other thing. I can tell if you spent time with Jesus or not. I, within three minutes of meeting with you, I can tell if you've been with Jesus that day. Here's what it is by how you treat people. It's as simple as that. First John 4 he says this, Everyone who loves others knows God through personal experience. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Your calling to love people comes from your time with God. Now, if there's a child in your life that's, 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 that's being tormented by demons, if there's a fellow coworker who's unsaved, if there's a family member that's sick in their body, all you got to do is be with Jesus, and he'll give you the power to love that person and to help that person, and that's why you're on planet Earth. Now, I have a little illustration for you to help you out. Um, for those of you that are visiting and that are new here, um, everybody in the room can tell you, and they'll assert, they'll, 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 they'll attest to this, that I, I am such a masculine man that, that when I sweat, it smells like sawdust. So, because I just, I know everything about construction. I'm good with tools and hammers and nails and other tools, screwdrivers. And so in the construction world, we call this an extension cord. I don't know if y'all know what that is or not, but that's what we, that's what us men call this is an extension cord. Now, the extension cord in itself has no power whatsoever. All alone it can do nothing. But the second that you plug it into a power source, the exact same power that's in the power source is the exact same power you get on the other end of the extension cord. As soon as you unplug it from the power source, you lose all the power from the other end of the extension cord. Do you hear, do you hear me? Okay, so if you, if you keep it plugged in, then you keep the power. If you unplug it, you lose the power. All by itself, it does nothing. But as soon as you plug it into the source, the exact same power that's in the source is the exact same power you get on the other end. Every one of you in this room, you are all extension cords of the power of God. Your extension cords of the love of God. Your extension cords of the healing of God. Your extension cords of the mercy of God. Your extension cords of the forgiveness of God. If you'll just stay plugged in, you have all the power you need to help everybody you come in contact with. But how many Christians, they only plug in on Sunday morning. And you leave here with a little bit of power. Believe me, by Monday morning, you will lose all the power you got if you don't stay plugged in. Every day we have to plug in. Psalm 73, 28 says, It is good for me to draw near to God. Now, you can write this down somewhere on your, on your handout or in your Bible. I'd like to say the definition of draw near is to run and hug. Because when I see my, my grandson, Leo, he, he sees me, he says, J-Pa! And he starts running toward me, and I don't say, Whoa, 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 Leo, Leo, did you obey your parents today? Before I give you a hug and spend time with you, have you been a good boy? Did you do your, what kind of grandfather would I be if I was like that? No, just run and hug me. We'll deal with all other stuff later. Just give me a hug and spend time with me. And when you do that with God, everything changes. You say, well, what if I have a lot of sin in my life? Hebrews 10.22 says, draw near to God, and he'll cleanse your heart from a guilty conscience and wash your bodies with pure water. It's drawing near to him that cleanses you. Well, I'm not cleansed. Then draw near to him. Spend time with him. 
well, what if, um, what if I'm upset with God? What if he didn't do what I wanted him to do and he knows I'm kind of mad at him? Remember when Mary and Martha's brother died and they thought, Jesus, if you were here, it wouldn't have happened. It says in John 11:20, 20, many Jews had come to Martha to comfort her in the loss of her brother. But when she heard Jesus was coming, she arose quickly to go meet him. What if my whole world's come to an end? Remember, Peter denies Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. Peter doesn't get a chance to say, I'm sorry. As soon as somebody said, there's Jesus out there in the water, John 21, 7 says, Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, and he plunged into the sea to get to Jesus. What if demons are all over me, under me, in me? I got addictions galore. Remember the Gadarene demoniac? Mark 5, 5, the man possessed with the evil spirits lived in the tombs night and day. He'd cry and cut himself. But when he saw Jesus, he ran to him and worse. Not even a legion of demons can stop you from being with Jesus if you'll simply take the time to do it. What if I've been away from church for a long time? What if I've turned my back on God? Luke 15, 20 says, when his father saw him a long way off, he was filled with compassion and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Here's my point. There's never a bad time to be with Jesus. You, I don't care what excuse you can come up with. I can find a verse that says, that's why you should be with him. Well, what about, that's why you should be with him. Well, you know what? That's why you should be with him. Whatever you got, I'll come back. James 4, 8, if you'll draw near to God, he will come running with arms wide open to you. Being with Jesus creates in us a godly love for people. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. You know, the Bible is a manual for how to love God and love people. The Ten Commandments are simply ways to love God and love people. That's the whole. So if you don't love people, you cannot fulfill your God-given destiny. And if you got a problem loving people, plug into the source and he'll give you what you need to love the unloving people in your life. It's all about God. See, it was, it was all about you until you got saved. Right? It was all about you. We want you to come. Once you give your life to Jesus, it's not yours anymore. So it's no longer about you. It's all about him, and it's about serving people. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but your, your mouth is an extension cord of either God or Satan. I can actually show you that in the book of James. I wasn't going to say God or you, but really your mouth is, can be an extension cord of one or the other. That's how I can tell if you've spent time with Jesus or not by what comes out of your mouth. Your social media is either an extension cord of God or something else. John had a problem with his social media in uh, Luke 9:49. He said, Master, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name, and we stopped him because he's not. He doesn't go to our church. He doesn't read out of the same Bible translation that I use. He's not white like I am, or he's not a Democrat, or he's not an American. And Jesus said, you moron, if he's, Jesus didn't say that. He said, he said, don't stop him. If he's not against you, he's for you. Do you know that you can be for something without being against someone? And I'm saying this about some of y'all's posts on social media. You can be for Christians without being against Muslims. You can be for women uh, having a full-term birth and then letting the baby be adopted without being against women who have had abortions or want abortions. You can, I know it's going to get quiet in here. You can, be, you can be for your political party without being against another political party. It's all about how you communicate. Um, you, can be, you can be for um, 
you can be for America without being against another country. And the reason I say this is because uh, God is for people no matter how stupid or rebellious they are. He's always for people. God is against divorce, but he's for divorced people. God is against homosexuality, but he is for homosexuals. He's for people. And once you get in your mind that he's for people, everything should change in your life. Uh, you thought the disciples had learned their lesson, but uh, just a few verses later in verse 6, it says when James and John saw this in verse 54, it says that uh, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? That's a great way to win friends and influence people, isn't it? And I, every time I read the scripture, I, I feel like he, they said it in a very country Pentecostal voice. I don't Jesus! We should call down fire from heaven and destroy them, Lord. And Jesus said, you idiots, what's wrong with y'all? He rebuked them. He rebuked them because they're against people. If your method is in violation with the message of Jesus Christ, your life is going to be messy. If your method is in violation with Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And if your, mess is, if your method is in violation with that, it's going to be messy for you. Um, anytime you communicate in any way that you are against a sect of people, you have lost your apostolic calling for all of that group on all of planet Earth. They will never come to you to be saved, to be healed from their body, or to have demons cast out. They'll never, be, they'll never, want, your, they'll never want your help. So the minute you are against whatever group it is, you can look up the percentage of that group on Google, and all of those hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, will never come to you for Jesus. Because you lost your influence. That's why we have to be, our Christian calling is to be for people. Love God people. Okay, point number two is this. Oh, no, let me show you another scripture. Acts 4.13. When they heard the eloquence of Peter and John, let me say this, when they heard the words coming out of their mouth, they had discovered they were illiterate and common men, but they marveled, saying this, they've been with Jesus. They could tell by what was coming out of their mouth simply the fact, you spent time with the Lord today. Very, very cool. Okay, point number two for your notes is this, my church calling. So obviously you get saved and you're a Christian, love God, people. After that, the New Testament Bible commands us to join a church and become a member, a productive member of that church. So here's your church calling. It's the exact same thing, love God and love people. Just so you know, that's your calling no matter what you're doing or where you're at. That's your purpose in life. Romans 1.1 says, uh, Paul and Timothy, uh, Philippians 1.1, sorry. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. James 1.1, James a servant of God, Lord Jesus. 2 Peter 1.1, Peter a servant of Apostle Jesus Christ. They all put, regardless of their title in church, they all put their ministry is to just serve. And too many Christians are looking for a title or a position when they don't realize you're called to serve. Your title, your position may change. Right, whether it's a greeter, Sunday school teacher, children's church, whatever, bring water. Who cares about your title? Your job is to serve, serve, serve. They put that their qualification for writing this book of the Bible is that I'm a servant. Well, what all of you accomplished doesn't matter I'm a servant. What's your title? Doesn't matter I'm a servant. Servant first, then apostle, but I'm a first here to be a servant. Uh, Romans 1.1 says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, I'm called to serve. Then he said, I'm called to be an apostle, which is my gift, and I'm set apart, here's my purpose, for preaching the gospel, getting people to Jesus. A bond servant in the Bible, um, if a Jew owed another Jew money, 
he could sell himself to that family as their servant, and he'd serve in their household until the debt was paid off. If it was a tremendous debt, after six years, no matter how big the debt was, after six years, they'd have to let him go. In the seventh year, all the debts were completely canceled. If that servant that had been in that house really loved that family and just really enjoyed being there and being a part, he would say, I would like to be your bond servant, and they would agree, and a bond servant is someone who serves that family for their entire life. So here's my question. Do you know that Jesus has not just canceled your debts, he's paid every one of your debts? And if you know that, here's my next question, have you made a decision to serve him for the rest of your life? Because don't tell me you love Jesus and you don't serve the local church. I can show you 12 chapters in the New Testament that say the level to which you love Jesus is seen or equal to the level to which you love and serve the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the local body church. Um, my grandfather, on my dad's side, I've told you before that he was a, him and my grandma were multi, multi-millionaires. I mean, multi-millionaires. That God spoke to them when, when Coke first got into the stock market to invest. They didn't, they didn't even know anything about Coke. They just heard God tell them and they did it. And he was a builder and built beach houses and all that. Well, um, if you take his income from childhood to, you know, the day he died, they gave 90% of their income away and, and lived off of 10%. They gave millions and millions of dollars to churches, to ministries all over. My, my grandma, she'd wear me and my brother, she'd, you know, she'd wear our old shoes and clothes, and she'd have socks with holes in it, and they'd have $8 million in the bank account. That's probably why they had $8 million. But anyway, um, my grandfather, he would wear the same pair of jeans and same blue long sleeve shirt every day, Monday through Saturday, and he'd wear the same suit on Sunday morning. It was a gray suit. Uh, white white shirt with a red tie that had stains on it and my grandma would say honey you know we got millions of dollars go get yourself a new tie he said I like this tie this is my favorite tie it was the only tie he had they did that so they could keep giving more and more and more money they'd buy people new cars in church and what even people wouldn't even know it was them they'd tell the pastor we want to buy that family a new car but they'd be driving used cars all the time that's how they lived so here's the thing millionaire very influential man you know what his job was at church he was the landscaper. I saw him hundreds, if not thousands of times growing up, cutting the grass at his church because he loved doing it. I remember one time my dad said to him, he said, Dad, why don't you pay somebody to do this? And he'd say this, because I'm better at it than anybody else. That's my gift. I'm good at doing this, so I'm doing it for my church because I'm good at it. He could have paid somebody to do it, but he wanted to serve his church. And listen, that's great that he tithed. That's great that he gave far, far above the tithe. But he knew my role in the family is to serve. And I'm good at this, so this is what I'm doing for the church. Oh, if we had that kind of attitude. Imagine the, the crown. Imagine the rewards he got when he saw Jesus face to face. And I even, as a side note, I'll even tell you this story. It's not much to do with the sermon. But when he got older, he got Alzheimer's and, and dementia. And uh, he knew that my dad would travel around the world, you know, doing things. And one day he sat down and tears were just falling. I mean, he was crying. And my dad said, Daddy, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, Son, I know you've been traveling around the world. If you ever meet Jesus, I want you to tell him how grateful me and your mom are for everything that he's done for us in our life. My dad said, Okay, if I meet Jesus. I'm going to tell him that just for you. So funny. He gave millions of dollars away 
but he's thanking Jesus for what Jesus did for him. That's a sermon. It says in 2 Kings 3.11, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. So if you know your Old Testament, there's major prophets, minor prophets. Elijah's a major prophet, big time. Guess what? Elisha, even more major than him. You know what he started out doing? He started out as the water boy. When Elijah said, I need my hands washed, Elisha said, here's the water, here you go. Who cares about the title he had in church? Who cares if everybody listened to him or he was influential? He loved just bringing water to the prophet. And he ended up as having a double anointing as Elijah, but he started off as the water boy. The reason I love that scripture is from 1992 to 2014 for 22 years, that's what I did. I did music and drums and sound and all that for pastors and churches. But one thing I would all, and I want even in my description, no one asked me to do it, I'd always make sure the pastor had water. For 22 years, from the age of 13 to, I think, 39, something like, I would, my job when I got to church, I would make sure the pastor had water behind his pulpit. I'd make sure he had a mint, because a lot of them like to suck on a mint during praise and worship to get their voice. That was, I loved doing it. That was my thing. They never asked me to, I just loved doing it. And all the churches I served at, I never, and I was thinking about this when I was studying this week, I was never part of a church before I became a full-time minister. I was never part of a church because I liked the pastor. And I never left a church because I didn't like the pastor. It was never about the pastor. It was never about me. It was about this is the church God called me to, so I'm going to serve the family. If the sermon was great, yay. If it wasn't, who cares? I know Jesus. I can go home and study my Bible. I didn't come from the pastor to take care of me. I came to take care of the rest of the family. That was my job. My job was to serve. Whether I was the music leader, whether I was the whatever I was, who cares? My job was to serve. John 13, 14, Jesus said, I, your Lord, washed your feet. And since I washed your feet, you should get on your hands and knees and wash my feet. Is that what Jesus said? I gave my life for you, and I shed my blood for you, and I did all this for you. Now, you better get down there and take care of me. Is that what Jesus said? Let me show you how much he loves people. Hey, I've done all this for you. I just want you to go do it for somebody else. Like with my granddad, I've given you the ability, millions and millions of dollars. Now I want you to take that money and go bless somebody. Well, I thought it was all about me. It was never about you. It's all about Jesus. He said, I washed your feet. So here's the result of that. Here's what I expect since I washed your feet. I expect you to wash somebody else's feet. There's some weird yo-yo Christians out there that talk about how, oh, I serve Jesus and I just go where he tells me and do what he wants me to do. And well, who do you serve? Oh, I serve Jesus. No, no, no. What church family do you help take care of? No, I serve. I just follow Jesus. Listen, if you're listening to Jesus, here's what he's saying. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Wash their feet. Point number three for your notes. My career calling. Now, this is so funny to me. We all know if I were to poll you and say, what's, what's your Christian life about? You'd say, love God, love people. Somehow, you would, somehow we'd get those words out of you. Well, what about church? Love God, love people. What about at home? I need to spend time with Jesus and I need to take care of my family. What about with my friends? Spend time with Jesus and love people. Well, what about, over here, what about your career? Oh, that's all about me. And when it comes to my career, I'm going to make money and climb the corporate ladder. You got it all messed up. And if you believe that, then your identity is going to come from that, especially us men. And we'll think, well, if I make more money, I can be more confident. If I have a bigger position or title, then I can really, you know, put, stick my chest out and feel good about myself. But what happens when you retire? You're going to lose your identity? 
What happens if you get fired? What happens if your company goes under? Or now, 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 you're, now you're insecure? And now you don't know what to do in life? No, no. It was never about you. Even your job is about loving God and loving people. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, you work at it with all your heart. Here's why. You're not working. It's for, it's for Jesus. The reason you work hard is for Jesus. And here's why. He's the one that promotes you. So if you get promoted at work, here's why he's promoting you. So you can spend time with Jesus and love people even more. Here's why you're making more money. So you can love God and love people even more. Here's why you're climbing the corporate ladder. So you can love God and love people even more. Have more influence to win people to Jesus, to pray for those that are sick, and to help cast out demons and help people's soul. That's the whole purpose of life. Your position is what you're paid for, but your purpose is what you're made for. I can say it like this, your career is what you're paid for, and your calling is what you're made for. It's never, just so you know, none of these points are going to be all about you. They're always going to be about Jesus and people. That's every point. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he's qualified us as ministers of the New Testament. I want everybody in this room to say, I am a minister. Okay, you might not be a pastor, but you're a minister. This is your purpose. Your purpose is to be a minister. Your purpose in life is to plug into the power source and share that power everywhere you go. That's your purpose. Now, the great men and women in the Bible, the heroes of our faith, they did not have a career like mine. They had a career like you. The people who God used to do mighty things on this planet were not pastors. They were people just like you. Genesis 13, 2. Abram was rich in livestock and silver and gold. He wasn't a preacher. He was a businessman and a very good one by that too. Genesis 26, 12. Isaac sowed a seed in the land. He was a farmer. Amos 1, 1. Words of Amos among the sheep breeders. He was a shepherd. Nehemiah 1, 11, For I was the king's cupbearer. He was a government agent. Matthew 9, 9. Jesus called Matthew a tax collector. He was an IRS agent. Mark 1.20, Jesus called James and his brother John. They left their father, their boats, and their hired servants, plural, and they followed Jesus. They were fishermen. They owned a small fishing company. Judges 5.7, until Deborah arose, a mother and a stay-at-home mom. Her position was a stay-at-home mom. Her purpose was to love God and to take care of people. And God called her to do that. All these people I'm reading you, they did great things for the kingdom of God by serving people, even though their positions were different. It was all about purpose. Acts 18.3. Paul was the same trade as them by occupation. He was a tent maker. He was a tiny home builder is what he was. A tiny home builder. And God used him as an apostle. Joshua 2.1. So they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. She was a working girl. At least she had a job. Right? Everybody had to have a job. She was actually an innkeeper, which is why the spies stayed with her. She provided other things at the, at the motel, but they didn't partake of that. Anyway, her position changed, thank God, right? She went from, you know, Julia Roberts' pretty woman to, to Catherine Kuhlman, right? A great woman of God. Anyway, her position changed, but her purpose was to love God and to take care of people. Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician, he was a doctor. So I want you to understand how God does it. God, if he wants to reach somebody in the medical field, he doesn't call the pastor to do it. He calls, he equips the saints. If he wants to reach someone in the medical field, he, he takes a minister and he disguises him or her as a doctor or a nurse and puts them in the medical field. If God wants his power to reach the construction world, he doesn't do it through a pastor. No, he takes a minister 
of the New Testament, and he disguises them as an electrician or a plumber or a construction worker or a general contractor, and he puts them in the construction world. Do you hear what I'm saying? If God wants to reach a child in public school or a teacher, he, disguises, he takes a, a New Testament minister, disguises him or her as a school janitor or a teacher or administrator or a counselor and puts them in the public school world. This is how God gets the word out. He equips the saints to go out there and do the work of the ministry. That is your purpose. And once you discover and you really understand what I'm saying, once you really get this deep down, it'll change your life. It'll change your level of, of insecurity versus confidence. It'll change your desires. You'll go out there and you won't dread work and you won't hate your boss because you realize you're there for a purpose. You're there, you're there to show the love of God, the healing of God. You're there to be a light. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 12 says this, uh, The Lord told Samuel, Anoint David for he is the next King. So imagine on career day, you know, you and all your buddies, you're, there's a, a few hundred of you from school, and y'all are looking at the different careers, and the prophet Samuel has a booth, and everyone keeps walking up to the booth, and he's like, it's not you, it's not you, you won't be good at this, and then all of a sudden, you come up, and he says, you're, you're the one. You say, what do you mean? He said, no, you're, you're going to be the next king. You're going to live in a castle, and you're going to have people wait on you hand and foot, and you'll have a, a, a chef, a live-in chef. And you'll have, you know, a big screen TV and you'll have, you know, internet and all this, whatever, these are all these great things. And, and, and you're going to be in charge of everybody. Now, don't lie. You would love to, for, for the prophet to tell you that. That's what's going to happen to you. And David signed up, said, well, sign me up. I'm in for it. And then as Samuel's leaving, he's like, oh, by the way, uh, the current boss is going to try to kill you. Your son's going to overthrow the government. And everything you do wrong, the whole world's going to know about it for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah, but you'll be okay. You'll be okay, you know. Like, well, I don't know if I want to be king now or not. But anyway, that's what happened. So he's going to be asking. Um, David had different positions, though. He was a shepherd. He was a, a paid musician for Saul. Remember that? He was in the military. He was a king. And then there was time where he was actually jobless. And he was, he was in between jobs, in between jobs. And so um, he, he, was, he didn't have any employment. And so uh, his positions changed, but his purpose never changed. He knew that his purpose was to serve God and to serve people. He knew that was his purpose. That's why he was on planet earth. And I want to prove that to you. Uh, at one point after he was king, there was a guy who David really, really loved named Absalom. And Absalom started a coup and tried to overthrow David. And he actually did. And it's found in 2 Samuel 15, uh, 1 through 6. It says, Absalom provided for himself it's really important that line's there. He provided for himself horses, chariots, and, and a bunch of men. If you have to manipulate people to follow you, you're going to have to continue to manipulate them to stay with you. That's why whenever it comes time to a position, you want God to be the one that puts you there, not your own manipulative tactics. So we'll start with that. Here's what he did. It's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's evil, but it's brilliant. He'd get up early, and he'd stand beside the gate, so when anybody came that had a dispute with David, Absalom would call to that person and say, hey, tell me your problems. Tell me what you don't like about them. Let's talk about all the things you don't like. The king's not going to listen to you, but let me just tell you, if I were in charge, if I were the one, I would do just what you want me to do. I'd make things fair. Absalom would even make them feel important, and he stole the hearts of the people from the king. He went even as far as to 
is to go after one of David's closest friends, which is very, very sad because David served these people for years. They didn't serve him. He served them. And they find out a few things they don't like about him, and they come together to talk about what they don't like about him. And in verse 11, it says that Absalom even managed to involve Ahithophel, David's advisor. The conspiracy grew, and Absalom's supporters multiplied. So in verse 16, so David and his family, they had to run and they had to escape. I need you to know, and if you study your Bible, you'll know this is true. David didn't run away because he was a coward. He ran away because he cared so much about the people, he didn't want them to get hurt. David could have easily defeated Absalom, but he didn't want to kill anybody. He could have easily, you know, argued his point and showed how he was right, but he didn't want strife. Here's why. He loved the people too much. They were ignorant. They didn't know. The Bible even says that they were ignorant. It says a lot of them that followed Absalom didn't know any better. They didn't even know what they were doing. But David knew if I get involved, it's going to hurt people. Now, here's what I want you to see. You know the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant, if you don't know about it, it's what Indiana Jones discovered in 1981. And um, it was this gold gold thing. And I, I know a lot of you don't know a lot about the Bible. But basically, it was a... There, there was these, these cherubim, these angels, these golden created, you know, not real angels, but these cherubim on top. And um, God would dwell in the middle of the angel wings and the cherubim. The reason he would do that in the Old Testament was because he couldn't, he couldn't manifest anywhere on earth because there was so much sin. So when Jesus took the sin of the world, now God can live in our hearts. The Holy Spirit can live in our hearts. But in the Old Testament, he couldn't do that. His omnipresence was everywhere. But he would only manifest himself at certain places at certain times due to the sin because God's perfect. And just by definition of perfect, you can't be around imperfection if you're perfect. So he would dwell in the middle of the, the, the ark of the covenant, the cherubim wings. And the manifestation of that was you would have victory. So whoever had the ark of the covenant would have victory. So let's say somebody's coming to fight you. All you do is just stand right there near the ark and say, come on. As soon as they get close to you, they drop dead. Really, really cool. If I had it, I'd just carry it around with me everywhere I went. And, uh, and so if I were David, that's what I would have done, right? If I were David, I would have said, okay, y'all got a problem? Meet me over here by the ark. I'll just be waiting there. Come on, a little bit closer, a little bit. Okay, you're done. Next. Anybody else? That's what I would do. And David's close buddies knew, well, we want David to have the ark. So when David and his family left, they grabbed the ark, and they're, they're taking it with David. And David stopped them. And I, I just, I can imagine that David probably didn't even know that we would know this story at the time. He probably had no idea. He's probably thinking no one's going to know the truth. In verse 25, David told Zadok, he said, take the ark back to the people. If I find favor in the Lord's sight, he'll bring me back. God will take care of me. God will take care of me. But you know what? I love the people. Here's what he was saying. Give them the presence of God so they'll be victorious. If an enemy troop comes, and I'm not there, I want to make sure they have the ark. If Satan's attacking it, I want to make sure they have the ark. I want to make, I love the, I need the people to know they need the presence of God. I'll be okay. God will take care of me, but I love them so much. Even the ones that are doing stupid things and coming against me, I want to make sure that they're okay. And that's how we know that even though David's position went from king to jobless, his purpose never changed. Acts 13, 36, after fulfilling God's purpose for his life by serving the people of his time, David died. Um, A lot of us are trying to get meaning out of our career 
when we should be getting meaning out of our relationship with Jesus and our calling to build his kingdom. Never underestimate spending time just being with Jesus. He will give you the power to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and deliver the oppressed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We like to take a few minutes at the end of the service to give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to you directly one-on-one. We know that nothing of significance has been said or sung or prayed unless God speaks directly to your heart. My message today is very simple. It's very clear, I believe, and that is this. It's not about you. It's not about you. Let me say this. God will take care of you if you'll take care of what God wants you to take care of, which is the people. I find that when I'm serving Jesus, when I'm serving the church, when I'm serving people, that he tends to take care of the stuff in my life that I could not even take care of on my own. He is so good about fighting my battles for me while I'm washing somebody else's feet. He's so good about taking care of the worries in my heart when I'm praying for somebody else's needs. He's so good at providing what I need when I'm letting him use me to provide what somebody else needs. I don't care how old you are or how long you've been doing it your way, there's still opportunity and chance for you to fulfill your God-given destiny if you'll get your mind off of yourself and on to Jesus. So if you're here today and you thought that your purpose was about you, you thought your calling was to fulfill your dreams and your needs, and you've discovered today it's about spending time with Jesus and letting him empower you to help people. And you're going to start doing that today. Can you raise your hand so I can just pray for you real quick? Okay, Lord, every hand that's raised, show them the way they should spend time with you. Speak to them right now. Give them clear visions of what that time with you looks like. Just you and them. Lord, it's just you and them, whether it's a walk on the beach, whether it's coffee and and a proverb out of the Bible in the morning, whether it's staying up at night and reading a little bit of a devotion, whatever it is, show it to them right now, Lord. And I ask that you begin to empower them with the desire and the strength to step out and to win people to you to pray for those that are sick and to minister to those that are oppressed by Satan. Lord, let our church not just be strong numerically, let us be strong spiritually. Lord, let the disciples of Christ in this place rise up. Rise up and change this city. Use us, Lord, to bring healing to our family, friends, co-workers, neighbors. Let us see, Lord, that you have given us the grace to breathe, the very grace to have what we have so we can help people. Thank you, Lord, for using these 
jars of clay. Thank you, Lord, for using us flawed people to do great things for you. In Jesus' name, everybody said,